happening man hey welcome everybody you know i'm so ready to truck it today my friend you know after talking to jason on our last show you know yeah. we've been in that carpooling mood i had to get carpooled again by you today because yeah. my toyota it's in the shop right yeah uh that like the door jar light it wouldn't go out and i think it drained the battery that they're looking at it but there's also this nicholas story that's out and nicholas says that they can't even get 80 trucks on the road because there's not enough microchips so michael vincent i ask you we might be carpooling for a while because what chance does my toyota have if, <laughs> if Nick, a billion dollar company like nicola can't even get a microchip <laughs> that's a great point you got zero zero chance you're gonna be carpooled every day <laughs> forever <laughs> for quite a while my friend. hey you remember last year when there were memes going around it was like hey who's got aliens for yeah. august who's sure. got this who's got murder hornets for april yeah where'd that go oh, well because we like, got the aliens but I mean, then everyone was like yeah but we got dude dude we've got poison hemlock invading okay. all of our parks and backyards we've got ice worms invading yeah. the pacific northwest we got 118 degrees in portland oregon Mm. Right? I mean, we got all this crazy says total madness out there, man. We got 250 parrots in a UK zoo that are swearing at people as they walk by. I heard about they had to separate all these parrots in the UK because they were teaching each other foul language. Yeah. Well, Terrible. the guy wanted to stop, but I was thinking I'd pay extra for that experience, actually. <laughs> well, you know, well, hey, here's the meme that's going on. It's a perpetual peak season, ocean freight's the eighth circle of hell. And uh, today we're going to be talking about it. We're going to be talking to Seco Logistics' Brian Bork about Christmas, right? Will it be ruined? You ocean carriers, you're ruining Christmas for everybody? You're going to make my kids cry? Oh, I got a six man. and four-year-old. Don't do it. it right. Don't do it. it right. uh, yeah, are they? Are they? Are the ocean carriers planning to pillage Whoville? Paying ocean rates <laughs> is most certainly a beast. A ship, <laughs> ship now, least, <laughs> lest your tree have the least. I totally mangled that one. All right, well, we'll break down key holiday shipping dates. We've also got Marco's founders on here. They're talking about how they've landed $82 million in funding. They're helping shippers yeah. finance freight from Latin America. Uh, Mr. Hang Glider himself. Uh, Covenant's Matt McClelland. He's launching a new show on Freightways TV. He's going to talk to us about it and talk about sustainability. But we're going to find out if you're down with the FMC in just a minute. But first, we have to tip the band. Autonomous trucks are coming with a potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at Tell em, Dude. Oh, go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions. Yeah. Go there immediately go after show. It. All right. Now, let's go inside the news store. We start getting legal. We start talking about the FMC. We got to talk to somebody smarter than us two, Knuckleheads, over here. So we'd like to reach out to Lauren Began. She's a principal over at Squall Strategies and also an adjunct professor at Roger Williams University. Lauren, what is going on? We covered this story with Joe Monroe. We got we got kind of deep into it. We were talking about um, the, my, the, the, the company that my brain keeps auto-correcting. It's MCS suing uh, MSC, right. and um, the FMC is getting involved. Can they do anything? Hey, guys, how are you? Great to What's see up? you. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of alphabet soup here, huh? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's mean, crazy. That, that tends to happen all across the all across the maritime spectrum, huh? So, yeah, you know, this, this is interesting. Um, case was filed. You guys were talking about it on Monday. Um, and you were kind of joking on Monday that, you know, service contracts not being fully honored. New thing or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, so here's the, here's the difference between this and, and what usually happens. So service contracts are just that they're contracts. You know, we, we've all, we all kind of understand what contracts are in general. Those are usually 
brought up in just kind of a regular court system. What makes this a little bit unique is that MCS is saying that MSC and Costco are actually doing something that's violating the Shipping Act. And so the Federal Maritime Commission has deference to regulate over the Shipping Act. And so that's what makes this difference. Shipping Act isn't just any old contract violation. The Shipping Act is refusal to deal, which is exactly what M- M- MCS, see, I, I'm doing it too, MSC, MCS, MCS is saying um, MSC and Costco aren't doing. They're refusing to deal on a previously negotiated service contract. Now, this is going to be interesting because it's pretty light on people bringing that claim to the FMC previously. But that, but that, does that not open up the case that they, they don't have to be stuck in precedence, like in a legal court system? So there is, there is a little bit of precedence here, um, but not a lot. And so, like I was saying, so the contracts are usually in the court, in general court system. So they can be kind of referred to, they can be brought in, but this is going to be a different cause of action. So there might've been a breach of contract here, but they're saying that there was an unreasonable refusal to deal in that they all agreed on these service contract um, terms and, and all sorts of things, which are used, which are always filed with the FMC, these service contracts, which are very specifically spelled out. Um, for the most part, they're confidential. Um, but through this, through this case, we might start to see some of the different terms that were included in this service contract and how they believe the violation is occurring. They also talk about um, Costco and MSC are profiteering, that this is collusion, that this is um, all sorts of bad actor things happening. And so that's where the FMC has been vocal recently. So this is this is really timely that this complaint came right now, um, while the FMC is also taking a pretty active role in trying to figure out what's going on. Is it congestion? Is it COVID-19 related? Or is there some bad acting happening that just happens to be at the same time as COVID-19 um, problems are, are hitting the supply chain. So are more is, is MCS going to be like the hero of shippers here? So many shippers are fed up. We hear all the conversations with our clients online on these different shows. They're, they're very fed up. So will more come forward and will they join together in almost like a, I don't know if they do class action suits. In fact, yeah. Joe is saying that they're immune from like any antitrust things, but will a bunch of shippers come together and, and, and confront the F- FMC about this? So potentially, um, you know, I mean, that's some I have heard, um, you know, in in some different areas, people are calling for class action or calling for banding together. Um, You know, I think that this is a great first step. MCS. So in July, MCS actually wrote a letter to the Federal Maritime Commission. They CC'd uh, Department of Justice. They CC'd their congressman. And they just started to outline essentially their initial arguments that unsurprisingly found their way to the complaint. But in that letter, um, they actually said, if anybody else is interested or has these problems, please let us know and and let's talk about what we're going to do next. And so that was a little bit of foreshadowing in July um, about this complaint that was coming down the line. It'll be interesting to see if other people step forward. Um, You know, some of the things that do happen or, or what will probably happen during this is, like I said, this confidential service contract is now going to become at least pieces of it a little more public because they're going to it, it likely will will have to be because you're going to have to you're going to have to argue on on the actual facts and the actual terms that were included in that service contract. So, um, you know, that that's going to be something that we'll see throughout this um, docket that, that's been assigned. Um, it's also going to be interesting because there is some discussion over what's been happening. Is this profiteering? Is this bad acting? Are the ocean carriers to blame for some of this? you know, 
exponential increases in costs, these blank sailings, these, was this all purposeful or was this just coincidental? And so I think this won't solve all the world's problems, certainly this one case, but it will start to illuminate those darker corners that we haven't been able to really get into um, on this kind of public discussion. But what was that? Because they are like you were just showing me an article from April. Tell her about yeah. about that one, because they, they're pushing freight into these lanes. They're pushing ships in those lanes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from April, what was it? Uh, uh, Lodestar, I think it was, yeah. was reporting, you know, the the change of capacity from the north south lanes and intra Asia lanes into the east west, more profitable lanes, moving more capacity into there to take advantage of, of higher prices. Right. Which is now causing higher prices and congestion in those north-south lanes and lanes that weren't really being affected or not as affected as much. Sure. I mean, so this is part of the larger discussion that's happening and in, in that, you know, this is happening with the exporting discussion. So can you force, you know, there's some some proposed legislation to changing the shipping act. Can you force some of these carriers to be required to take these exports? Can and if the carriers are to say, I'm going to lose money if I take these exports, can you force them, you know, constitutionally to, to lose money on shipments? Um, so that's going to be something that's coming along. I, I think, you know, there, certainly there's an argument to be made for movement in, in lanes and trends and market shipments. You know, that, that should always be part of it. But where the FMC really comes in is when the bad acting comes in. They want to make sure that the that the general U.S. exporter, importer, and consumer is protected from some of these bad actors creating exponential increases in these prices, creating terrible service. Um, you know, some of the things that we see. And, and remember, these carriers were taking a loss for quite a while, too. So while they are in, in super huge profits right now, I think some of the profits were just released last week that, I mean, those you guys oh, were yeah. talking about it on Monday. I mean, you could oh, go yeah. buy a tech company. Right. I think you joked. <laughs> I think one was um, up 1,500%, right? Uh, Merce, best profits ever, which they had the previous quarter. They just topped those ones. Yeah. Um, MS, MSC just became the, the biggest steamship line in the world as well, based yeah. on some of these things. Yeah, yeah. Some of the questions that are like, was this purposeful and was it not? Of course, yes, it was purposeful. They They're blanked the money. sailings to keep the prices up so they wouldn't lose more money. So, yes, it sure. was. It's like tarping the seats over at the Jaguar Stadium. <laughs> So they didn't uh, Blake Brumley has to pay more than $5 for a ticket to go see Tim Tebow yeah, throw a rock around. Uh, hey, Laura, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We appreciate your insights on this tough case. And as this develops, we'll circle right back to you. Sure. Yeah. Happy to happy to pop in whenever you need. And, you know, like I said, this is going to be market movements are, are going to be something that just happens. But yeah. whether or not this is so terrible that it's detrimental in in kind of a bad guy way you know is is yeah. the, the non-legal way of explaining it <laughs> thank you lauren we appreciate it <laughs> do you ever get your couch uh it's actually yes august 9th so august 9th i finally have my uh my delivery date set okay it doesn't get delayed cool but who knows they just canceled like 500 flights around the country yesterday my wife and my kids their my kids and my wife got canceled yesterday out of connecticut they won't be back till thursday now oh wow. i've been home alone sucks. it hasn't turned into like knock knock yet though with uh Keanu. Oh, okay. Cool. That movie. Uh, Peter Spratling, COO and co-founder. And Jacob Shuhit, uh, CEO and co-founder at Marco, are now here with us. They have just received a big funding round to uh, help finance freight out of Latin America to the North to the North Americas over here. So let's bring them up and see what's good with those two. Hey, gentlemen. Hey, thanks for having us, gents. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having us. Uh, so, guys, uh, whoever uh, you think can speak better to it, give us the quick elevator pitch on what Marco is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Marco, in, in essence, is really focused on simplifying and accelerating cross-border trade. So 
we're primarily focused on helping exporters in emerging markets, primarily Latin America, increase the way that they're able to trade with um, developed markets, uh, mainly the United States, but also Canada and as well the uh, European Union and the UK as well. And um, really what we're focused on is, is, is solving what we deem to be the mission critical problem facing a lot of these exporters. And, and really that's getting access to reliable trade finance. We're seeing them often overlooked by banks. Um, they're mostly dependent on friends and family to be financed. And uh, they really seem to be the most acutely affected within this, what is, is, is articulated by the Asian Development Bank is this $1.5 trillion global trade finance gap. Um, so, so that really is in a nutshell uh, is, is kind of what we're focused on. And, and yeah, we're definitely excited uh, to, uh, to announce this uh, recent round of funding to, to kind of, uh, you know, only enhance our ability to uh, scale this mission. Great. So, hey, Peter, uh, looking at your background, it sounds uh, it looks like quite obvious where the inspiration came from, uh, exporting wool from Uruguay, et cetera. Talk to us a little bit about that and how you uh, hooked up with Jacob here, how you guys met. Exactly. So uh, I come from this import-export space. So I'm originally from Uruguay, from South America, and I've had three companies, all of them in the import-export space. So two of them were exporting uh, out of Uruguay. My last company was based out of Miami, and I was importing. And I, I saw the need of, of financing especially when it came to cross-border. Uh, it was impossible for me to get the financing I needed. I had huge clients. I was working with Kraft Heinz, General Mills, and I couldn't get the financing I needed to, to, to fulfill my purchase orders. So when, when Jake and I met in New York, we actually met in a, in a startup incubator called Ambler. Um, Jake was working more on a software product for banks uh, using federated learning. And, and, and I came with him with like my experience, my background, and said, hey, there's a, there's a huge need of this financing uh, for small and medium-sized enterprises, not only the U.S., but, but the cross-border component is a huge need. So, so that's how we started the conversation, how we started Marco. Hey, for small companies, companies in developing nations, payment terms are huge, right? Make or break can be 30, 60, 90, 120-day terms. So how does Marco fit into that? How do you, I guess, support and finance these companies so they can, they can get off the ground and they can keep their freight flowing? Yeah, it's, it's a great point. That, that's really what we're seeing uh, just being uh, a lot of these exporters, especially these offshore suppliers of a lot of U U.S. buyers and retailers, they're they're being um, hit extremely hard by these payment terms. Um, they're often being pushed out now from 90 to 120 days in, in a lot of situations. And that with the increased cost of freight and the, the rising commodity prices, it's just they're getting squeezed. And and what we're seeing is, is that's catalyzing a lot of exporters that um, previously might not have needed access to working capital. You know, if they're in general merchandise, they need to buy a certain amount of silicone or, or steel or, or, or other commodities. They need to buy those, in, you know, those spot buys for, for months of production. Um, and really the way that we, we effectively um, uh, help these exporters is we effectively advance them on these invoices. Um, and uh, as soon as the buyer takes possession, it could be FOB. It could be when it, it, it reaches the, uh, arrives at the, uh, the port of arrival. Um, but typically we'll advance up to 90% of that invoice value to the exporter. Um, and then we'll collect directly from the, uh, the end buyer or the account debtor and then, uh, uh, remit the balance to them once we get paid 90, 120 days later, what have you. So Peter, talk to us a little bit about those challenges in invoicing in, in those, in those developing countries there. What are, what are the challenges there? Why are major financial institutions adverse to, to financing these type of, uh, moves? Exactly. So, I mean, if you're a company based in, let's say, Uruguay, and you have a AAA client, let's say you're selling to Kraft Heinz, that invoice is an asset that you have that you really can't 
the banks in 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 that country are not going to recognize as an asset because it's 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 overseas. They don't really understand the risk. So they're really only going to underwrite your company and what's done in the past. So what what we talk about when we talk to of our clients, we compare ourselves and say, look, a bank is more of a forensic unit. They'll look at what you've done in the past and they'll give you liquidity based on what you've done in the past. We're actually analyzing real time not only what you're doing now, but what your potential is. So we know that if with a little bit more liquidity, you can get a bigger contract, you can get better clients. That's what we're analyzing and that's what we're funding. And, and we're seeing now, I mean, there's not only the commodity issues, but the freight issues. We have clients right now that now are playing three times as much in ocean freight. And also that the timing now is extended double. So we have clients in Guatemala that their containers are stuck outside the port of uh, Long Beach and they, they, their cash conversion cycle used to be 10 days they used to collect. And now they're going to 30, 40 days and they don't have the liquidity for that. How much is that? How much of a challenge does that present for you, who's trying to help finance these companies? And now we're in this, you know, this eighth circle of hell. That's the freight market that is causing such a burden amongst all of these different shippers and intermediaries. Exactly. It's 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 actually gotten to the point where we're actually now financing freight forwarders and other companies in freight because we're financing now a, a Mexican company that is that does a lot of the freight for for multinational companies, and he says, "Look, I'm doing the exact same volume I was doing last year." But I need three times the amount of money because freight costs is tripled. A Chinese, a, a container from China to U.S. used to cost like thirty five hundred. Now he's paying twelve, thirteen thousand dollars. Wow, that's that's really crazy. So, is it fair to say you guys are very similar to your your financing purchase orders, right? For 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 these uh, for these uh, companies overseas and providing that liquidity for when you have these these delays there. Yeah, effectively, we're, we're mainly focused on three products. We'll do we'll do purchase order financing. We'll do um, account receivable financing or, or, or invoice factoring. Um, we'll also do um, kind of general ABL against uh, receivables and inventory, and then we'll also do supply chain finance as well. Um, so, so we kind of you know run the gamut depending on the need of the business, the size of the business. Again, still within that kind of SME band. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll typically have a product that will be uh, effective in order for them to get the working capital they need to, to grow. And, and, and again, it just, it just really enhances the amount that these businesses need this support in a more fast, reliable way than, you know, potentially waiting for the banks to, to go through their, um, you know, their lengthy process. And, and I'm sure most people listening to your show have experienced some, some semblance of pain with a bank before. Um, and, and in, in this, in this industry, it's really important to have that, reliable service that that speed um and and actually the knowledge from somebody like peter who who's been in those shoes and and what it's like yeah, well excellent since you guys are new before we let you go we got to spin the wheel of stupid oh, we, we questions have have give that do. thing a spin spin the wheel oh, make awesome. a deal let's see what it lands on and what kind of answer we can get out of these right, gentlemen got, what do we got, we got here? the olympics we got the olympic uh all right so let's uh all right so for peter all right. Uh, which team Olympic event do you think uh, the two of you would do well in? Ooh. The two of us would do well in it. Um, I would, you know what? I would go with badminton. Uh, Jake used to do squash. In, and he actually was nationally ranked in squash in Canada. So I'll take my oh, chances with his strength. There you I'll... go. <laughs> yeah, let him prop you up, right? He'll be, the, uh, he'll be your, your financial backer. <laughs> he'll just I be thought like, maybe exactly. I'm coming for the money shot. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. People want to learn more about Marco. Where do we send him to? 
Yeah, they can check us out at uh, marcofi.com. Um, and uh, they can check our, our LinkedIn page, which is uh, uh, Marco Financial. And um, yeah, those would be the best places uh, to, to check us out. Definitely, definitely marcofi.com. Uh, we also have uh, Instagram at Marco underscore financial as well. Cool. Marco Thanks, dot financial, excuse me. Awesome. Thanks Thanks for having us, Jen. Congrats on the funding round. Good luck. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, guys. Bye for now. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Now we got everybody back in the water. We got to go talk some more ocean freight. Just when you thought it's hard not to. I mean, look, we've been in this perpetual peak season, but I also feel like the mood, like the temperature in the room. I'm just hearing so many conversations. So many people I'm talking to are angry and they want understanding about what is going on in this market. And, you know, carriers are some of the biggest prizes in the world right now on the ocean. I mean, it's just the things that are going on in this in the, in the market, you would think you, people would be in jail for, for truckload. If they I mean, were doing you'd truckload. guess, but I mean, then it's, it's <laughs> yeah. more, it's complicated, though. It's an incredibly it's complicated situation. Complicated. So I'm glad that we have Brian Bork here today. He's the CGO over at Seco Logistics. He's also a uh, Badger alum. And you know oh, who else is? Wow. Russell Wilson. Mo. JJ Watt. And? Steve Miller? Steve Miller. Fly, Steve Miller. Like, a, fly like a Badger. Was that the <laughs> album? What's up, Brian? <laughs> How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? And uh, hello from the eighth circle of hell. <laughs> How are you holding up in that circle? <laughs> yeah, it's a little warm, but we're getting through it. Hey, I got to ask you, do you really know six languages? Uh, I do, yes. Can you do. say, what is like what the truck in, in all six of them? <laughs> in all six. <laughs> Combined, <laughs> uh, I, could say, I could say I could say maybe what you know your 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 doppelganger phrase is, but uh, what the truck? I don't know. That'd have to be a different translation, I think, in each one. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I do. I'm 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 more conversational than fluent in most of them. But uh, um, just spent a lot of time in Europe recently and uh, was able to use them again. So yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the education you get at the University of Wisconsin, by the way. Absolutely, is you can you can say what the in. Six different languages. Yeah, <laughs> those are usually the first first phrases you learn. That's only an undergraduate yeah. degree, though, right? That's only an undergraduate degree. Yeah. So, Brian, there's a there's yeah. a um, you are the Grinch, right? There's this uh, there's this very Grinchian quote I have here from you. It says, obviously, there are options for shippers, transload, ocean charter, and air freight, but the real message is book now or Christmas may be canceled. You saying that for shock value, or is it true? Uh, it, it's true, and and it's really built built around the premise of kind of working backwards from when you need your freight um, or, or, or cargo essentially ready in your distribution center and on the retail shelves, right? So if you kind of work backwards from Christmas season really starts November 1, right? They, all the retail stores swap out right after Halloween, and then you get products on shelves for, for the holidays. And that, that's really a November 1 target date. Because if you get anywhere beyond that, um, you're really missing out on the retail foot traffic, retail sales. Now, if you're focusing on e-commerce, you have a few more weeks. But if you were backwards from November 1, essentially lead times have created a situation where, you you know, two years ago, the last normal year, um, you know, everything is four to eight weeks longer um, and more kind of really on the eight week side, because, you know, to make an ocean booking, you have to do it four to eight weeks in advance. Right. So it's not like if you make a booking today, your, your cargo is going to move. So um, essentially, we've really almost kind of passed that inflection point. And you really have to focus a lot of your cargo now on on really e-commerce orders, because as long as you get it in the fulfillment center by, let's say, Black Friday, um, you're in a good position to still take advantage. But, uh, you know, time's running out. Absolutely. And um, for many people, um, the time's already passed. And so they already need to think about uh, air freight options, if that's even an option for them. Uh, But a lot of our conversations with shippers, 
have already pivoted to restocking inventory for next year and beating the Chinese New Year holiday. So um, it is kind of we're, we're going to fast forward right now, uh, really, during this perpetual peak season. We definitely are. So let's let's bring some shock value to some people here and look at some of these dates, because I think, you know, people think, you know, you look at like November 1st. Well, we got some time there. Right. Oh, yeah. And then you're saying four to eight weeks early. OK, so with well, that's not that. But well, no, that's like August 21st tomorrow. is 17 days from yeah, now. Yeah. You got like two weeks to get these things moving. Right. But yeah, less. I, yeah, mean, if you, and, and, I mean, Brian, if you're at the desk right now, you're at a shipper calling a book freight. A lot of you probably not are being told September anyway right now. But if you're trying to, yes. to rush something, I mean, if you're listening to this, turn this show off, come back to it later and get that free book. <laughs> yeah, you're you in, you're in a world it, of heart, yeah, right? Watch us on demand because. <laughs> yeah. Fill it in for us, yeah, Brian. We, Go for it. We, 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 we posted this a few weeks ago because we wanted to kind of have a call to arms for everyone, right, in the industry. Like, listen, like, this is getting real early and, you know, you need to move and make bold decisions now because a lot of people saw that con- the congestion at Port of LA Long Beach was going down. There was maybe questions on it. Is this going to get better? And, and our position was and still is that it will get worse again before it gets better. And two weeks ago, you should have already been, you know, making bookings and making arrangements and, and really now it's about um, mitigation and e-commerce. Retail orders are, you know, you, you, that kind of ship has sailed, pardon the pun. Um, so we, we were really doing it as an alert, a call to arms for everyone in the industry. You know, pay attention, um, get your bookings in, um, get the product flowing. You know, it's all it's an inventory game right now. You need to have your inventory to make the sale, um, to keep your shelf space in a retail environment if you're a vendor. Um, to keep your e-commerce sales going, uh, because ultimately shippers are becoming customers. Sorry, are becoming savvier, right? They're doing they're doing searches and abandoning carts when they're seeing when the delivery date is you know expected in November. They're going somewhere else, right? So yep. um, it, it's it's really you know a, a kind of cutthroat, but it's 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 the way the market's working right now. And a lot of the shippers that are kind of have been building up inventory and are focusing on inventory, those are the ones that are going to win uh, this holiday season. So that's why we wanted to have a call to arms, you know, like, listen, you know, take this serious now. There, there are uh, other options, right? There are, we're, we're doing partial uh, charters with uh, smaller ocean vessels and finding a lot of space for shippers that have a lot of backlog. There's transloads that we're helping out with in Seattle and LA. So if they're able to get the containers to the West Coast, but then from there, you know, they need help. Whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, the railroads or the ocean carriers would have done the inland in the ports or IPI points, but now they're, they're restricting that. So they need companies like us to help them with transloads. And then of course, air freight, that's always an option. So you, you mentioned all the, all the options that are kind of available right now, but then literally with every week, those options dwindle more and more to the point where, you know, you're left with booking your own 747, which for most people, that's not really palatable. Uh, but uh, that's, that's the emergency valve that that's going to start to be needed here soon. So, Brian, you mentioned that there are, are other options out there, right? And I was, when was the longshoreman strike? 2014 or whatever it was. People started moving moving freight in through Mexican ports, right? Yes. But, yes. but, I mean, mm-hmm. when it was, it was there for quite some time, sure. right? And we're talking the West about, Coast like, port crisis. We would, yeah, like, West Coast port uh, we would cross border. We'd, we'd actually go yeah. through Canada a lot of the time. Sure, coming, coming in through, yeah, through Canada or yeah. going south into, into Mexico and bringing it up through, uh, across through Laredo, et cetera. Is that, is that an option now? Is that, are you seeing that option being fulfilled or utilized? You know, a, a lot of the 
the reasons why the lead times are longer, part of the reason is because of the congestion, which creates delays at the ports. In the port of LA Long Beach, you know, you're, you're seeing the numbers, right? It's the, the numbers of ships at anchor are going up again, and they will continue to go up. Um, but I was just in Seattle recently, and the number of ships at anchor there, I mean, it was actually incredible. Congestion is everywhere. Um, so at this point, it doesn't really matter where you go, um, you're going to experience delays. Uh, and um, obviously, some ports are going to be a little bit better than others. The Port of LA Long Beach has done an amazing job at throughput. They're breaking records with the number of containers they're processing. It's just the the, the onslaught, the, the tidal wave, the tsunami of cargo ships coming in, the demand is just incredible and, and, and sustained. So, you know, the Prince Rupert, for example, in Canada is is has always been a great option for Midwestern companies, right? So go, there's rail options and easy access into the Midwest, but th there really is congestion everywhere. So, you know, you've got the wildfires in Canada that could have an impact. So you're, you, no matter where you go, um, you know, th there's, there's going to be issues. Some of the ocean charters that um, we're taking advantage of are um, calling at ports like Portland, Oregon, and San Diego, um, not your typical um, container ports, but uh, they, they're great options for these smaller vessels because when they come through, um, there, there really is kind of little to no congestion. So it's very fast turnaround time. And um, so that, that is an option. And, you know, but it's really only for like if you've got 100 containers backlogged and you just need to clear that backlog to kind of keep up with your inventory. That's when these uh, partial charters um, that we're leveraging uh, become really advantageous for importers. Brian, let's talk about inventory. I was looking on a chart on FreightWaves that was looking at Walmart import volume through uh, the portal of above-ground pools, right? And what this chart showed was that in previous years, Walmart would have their above-ground pools. I didn't even know you could buy an above-ground pool at Walmart, by the way, but apparently <laughs> you can. You buy the above-ground pool, they would get all their imports of those in, in March and April. This year, they came in in um, May and June. That was their heaviest volume. So for, like, Black Friday, is that going to be their doorbuster and above-ground pool? Like, what does this realistically mean for inventory on the holiday seasons, and what are shippers going to do about it? Well, I, you know, I, I don't think we don't know what it all means necessarily. For example, imagine all of the spring fashion items that were on the uh, Ever Given, right? Like, what do you, what do you do with that? You know, so some things are truly perishable, even if they aren't, uh, because of styles or or, or what have you. Um, and you know, th there there's going to be some mismatch. There's going to be some cargo that just doesn't quite make it. Um, and you know what? You know, different retailers and different manufacturers are going to have different strategies on how to how to account for that. Um, but you know, wh whenever you have uncertainty and and doubt and fear, the FUD factor, we say, which of course there's been a lot for for many years actually. Um, you know, especially in global trade, uh, it does create opportunity. And and I think that the, the the saying that companies don't compete, supply chains compete, um, has not been more relevant and germane. Uh, to to a number of different industries, especially in the retail e-commerce side, than, than right now, than today, uh, because ultimately, you know, disruption does create opportunity. Um, supply chains uh, can be a competitive differentiator, and and we're seeing this, you know, at at its extremes uh, occurring in real time in front of us right now. And so, this is an opportunity for companies to rethink their supply chains. To, to bring the supply chain up to the board level um, and really have an open conversation about where you're sourcing from, um, what your transportation costs are, 
Um, what 3PLs you're using? Are you insourcing? Are you outsourcing? What carriers are you using? Diversification of carriers. I mean, it, there's a number of things that we're seeing being implemented in real time. You know, it, we're seeing DC bypass come back, right? The, the, this has been used for years, but now companies are trying to implement it in real time um, without, you know, a lot of planning and leveraging a lot of freight forwarders and 3PLs to help them execute. Um, and it's just been an incredible time to see this uh, really happen and mature um, at, at, at in multiple different industries, multiple ports, multiple countries, all at the same time. Um, so, you know, that, that's the one thing I can say is, uh, you know, some companies are definitely going to have that challenge, but this is an opportunity. And I think companies should, should realize this as challenging, as difficult as it is, and as costly as it is right now, um, the, the uncertainty can be an opportunity. I mean, so you talk about the competing different, you know, do supply chains compete or companies? Let's talk about some of these competing trade lanes that are going on there in effect and what's going on with the issues with forwarders as well as you've got all these carriers and lines that are changing from, you know, north, south trade lanes and intra-Asian. We were talking with Lauren about this mm -hmm. a little bit earlier and moving capacity over to these higher paying trade lanes like east-west. The United States got to have Christmas, right? So there's big money to be made there if you can supply the capacity, but that's having effect on other trade lanes, right? It is. It's whether it's chassis, equipment, uh, empty containers, um, you know, where vessels are calling, you know, uh, it, it is it's almost like, a, you know, a bathtub in an earthquake. Right. Like there is an imbalance everywhere and that imbalance. So, you know, uh, this, and this is why when we said, um, you know, the Suez Canal was being blocked, we were explaining at the time how this is going to impact East Coast shippers already. Right. Like. Even, you know, even if it was only blocked a few days and traffic was snarled for a few weeks, the ripple effects really, you know, impact almost everyone. And the same thing that happened in Yantian, like, right, the pandemic, you know, in general, doesn't matter where there's flare ups, whether it was, you know, China in January, whether it was the U.S. in April of last year, um, whether it's now, you know, Vietnam or India three months ago. Uh, th these these all have ripple effects. And the same thing, you know, with the port strike that you were mentioning and referencing a few years back, um, it had ripple effects across the entire global supply chain. So um, this this is a, a big issue. And this is why the issue will persist for a long time, because these imbalances are going to take years to work through. You know, this is not going to end this year, just like it didn't end at the end of 2020. Um, these impacts congestion, um, uh, equipment imbalances, um, you know, trade lanes, you know, this is going to take years to work through. Right. What about, uh, we're speed right. We talked about air freight as an option, but what about, mm -hmm. um, what about that? Like my wife's flight, I was telling him earlier, my wife's flight got canceled. American canceled hundreds of flights yesterday, but it wasn't just yesterday. That's, that's been happening. That's been happening day over day, week over week. And actually for a few months, they're talking about airline crews being, um, being overworked, right. overstaffed, they have to put them out of service just like they do truck drivers. Is this impacting air freight cargo? <laughs> it's impacting everything. And I think you might have seen me on Twitter. I made the comment that, like, I, you know, because we separate the conversation on air freight between domestic and international. Yeah. Uh, because those, two, those are two very different worlds, typically. And over the past 18 months, international passenger capacity, which is about 60% of, of cargo supply, uh, worldwide, at least pre-pandemic levels, you know, it was virtually wiped out overnight and, and it's slowly returning, but it's not anywhere close to where it was before the pandemic. Whereas domestic travel has has come back in, in spades and airlines, in fact, are, are shocked at, at the surge in demand. 
um, and it's great for the recovery of the airline industry domestically. But I, I was saying, you know, to a lot of our clients, you know, because we would convert LTL to air freight domestically, that domestic air freight is going to be the only mode in the world that's not experiencing congestion and capacity issues. Well, lo and behold, um, it now is, you know, it, it's only because of what you just said, the situation you said, um, equipment, staffing, um, it, you know, it's, it's going to take a while to kind of get back to, you know, quote unquote normal, because we're still seeing a lot of freighters coming in and freighters, these passenger conversions. And so, you know, the, the infrastructures at these airports to handle and manage cargo um, and, and ground handling and, and, and all the support staff that's needed, um, it takes time to get, get that back up to, to full speed. So um, it is having an impact on domestic air freight. It is having a really big impact on international air freight. Um, you know, we, we, we depend on our airline partners for passenger capacity. Um, when that's not available, we, we are securing um, uh, cargo freighters, freighter conversions from the airlines, as well as our own air charters, um, because the demand has already come back, you know, and it's, and it's going to be way ahead of supply also for years. This is going to take years to work through as well. Probably quick on the domestic side. We're more optimistic there. Uh, but yes, air freight is is a challenge as well, and, and wow. in some cases more so. Brian, what, what about if we get off this filthy rock? What about space? What about space wave bills? We have this one right here from the moon, all the way back from the Apollo landing when they brought those rocks back. Um, <laughs> you mentioned me and TM. You want to talk about that space wave bills. What you got for me, brother? Absolutely. This is what, what's exciting about this one is like, you know, when, when you go to the moon and you come back, you have to fill out the customs declaration form, right? So you've left the country. You've left the world, but you've left the country. You come back. So you know, I, I've always been intrigued uh, uh, with, you know, freight waves focused on space uh, and, um, you know, and, and I've been inspired by this actual document. So thank you for putting it up. This document plus, you know, the privatization of inner orbit has, has really, I think, created this, this, this true opportunity, which I think you guys have were early to focus on where, you know, this is going to become, you know, a, an industry. So just like when the trucking industry got deregulated, um, when the airline industry got deregulated, you know, that created, you know, that there really was a birthplace for freight forwarding in general in the 70s and 80s was the um, you know, privatization and deregulation of the airline industry in general. Uh, and, uh, and that spawned freight forwarding to, to where it is today. Um, and you saw that with, with trucking companies and the consolidations and mergers and better service and better pricing for everyone. So now, you know, it, it's, the government should be focusing on the riskier investments, you know, and that's deep space, uh, right? Like that's, that's where, that's where the ROI is not really there yet, but the ROI is there now in inner orbit. And I think the shift to private enterprise is, is creating this space race, which is going to create more innovation. Um, but ultimately, you know, there's going to be more people at the space station, people on the moon and cargo is going to need to flow back and forth. So, um, you know, just like there's an ocean way bill and an airway bill, uh, you know, let, let's create a space way bill, right? Let's let's you and let's you know, let's be inspired by by John Glenn. So uh, yes, absolutely, it's it's the next frontier. I don't want to say the final frontier, but it's the next frontier. Brian, the cowbell on your time has run out. However, since oh, you're new no. to the show, you got to spin that thing from spin the wheel, make the deal, Michael Vincent. The Olympic wheel. Make it a quick one, brother. What All do we right, got? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right, are you ready? If logistics yeah. were an Olympics 
uh, were in the Olympics, if the logistics were in the Olympics, what mode of transport would be the hardest to meddle in right now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'd say, I'd say the last mile. Oh, yeah, that is. That's a good one. All right. Well, hey, Brian, thank you so much. How do people find Seco? SecoLogistics.com, S-E-K-O, logistics, all one word, dot com. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, sir. Come to Chattanooga in November, November 8th to 10th, F3. You guys come too, live.freightwaves.com. It's going to be the biggest party to ever happen in freight. Um, but now we got to tip the band one more time. With yes, fully furnished, state-of-the-art repair trucks and fully array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response for your fleet from Love's Truck Care and Speed Co. That's right. Learn more at Tell Them, dude. Hey, go to loves.com immediately after the show. Speaking of F3, let's hear about it from a hang glider. Let's do that. Hey, I want to give a quick plug to Freight Waves and the upcoming Future Freight Conference in November right here in, do my Vanna White here, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm on top of Lookout Mountain flying my hang glider right now. One of my favorite things to do, I'm a Lookout Mountain or Chattanooga resident. And if you come to Future of Freight, which you need to for all kinds of reasons, from incredible keynotes to great events to fantastic sessions, He's right, he's right here. Give us the Vanna White right now, Matt McLean. Matt McLean's over at, at Covenant. Um, how, like, you are just cutting a promo for F3. That's not, that's not like a green screen behind you, right? That's oh, no. a real hang glider. Absolutely. I've been doing it for about 25 years. You know, I had the GoPro set up. I was filming something for, for my wife. Like, honey, I love you. You're not here this weekend. I wish you were, but I'm doing this. And... I, I could see Covenant in the distance, right? Because yeah. where, you, where we fly off of Lookout Mountain, you can yeah. see the company I work for. And then, you know, you're up there. You don't have anything to do. There's nobody to talk to. So I'm thinking, you know, this random thoughts. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Freight Waves. Freight Waves is coming up. And I said, you know what? I'm going to shoot this because Craig and I, yeah. Craig Fuller and I, had just been talking about flying. Wow. And so, you know, here I was. He has motors. I don't. And anyway, I have did you dog, it. Were you dogfighting the Fuller Flyer? Was yeah, he yeah, up there yeah, in that? Yeah. Have you all, do people know about the Fuller Flyer? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's beautiful. We've shown the picture on here before. Yeah. Yeah. He was on last time. So, so um, I did it in two takes. You know, you, you two, you can do this all day long and never skip a beat. Not from right? a hang glider? No, 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 no. I'm talking about have a conversation in front of a camera. Oh, yeah, I yeah, did yeah. that in two takes. I'm not going to show you the two first takes, one. but the interesting when we first saw that, I was like, "You think he was just up there and he was bored and did this?" Yeah. And it turns out that's true. That's true. <laughs> no, 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 man, no. Nothing unless, else to do. I'm just hang gliding. <laughs> unless you're like, you know, a complete adrenaline drunkie like uh, Keanu and Point Break or something, or you know, putting on President's Mask and Robin Banks or something. Yeah. You know, that's a man who's been on a hang glider before. Like normal, like, I would be like, I would be holding on for dear life. I would be like, my butt is going to fall down. I'll be hanging from the bar like McGilla Gorilla, and it's going to look, uh, it's going to look terrible you know what doesn't look terrible because i saw a little preview it is your new show it is a reboot of the hit drama friends the comedy now i gotta ask you on freight friends are you ross or are you chandler oh gosh you know what um i gotta be um i think i've got to be ross tall dorky you know a little <laughs> awkward that, that can be me at times i just asked my wife well tell us about it you so you dropped in studio you've, you're about to launch a brand new Freightways tv show for us uh, it's going to air very very shortly so tell us what it is and what the concept is behind it so so craig and i were having a, a conversation i guess it was more personal than professional although with craig sometimes you, you can't not talk to Craig and not talk about freight and talk about work. So we're sitting there and we're in this fascinating conversation about autonomous vehicles. And he looked at me and said, you know, people would watch us having this conversation right now. And I said, you know, 
you're right. He says, you're well-read. I'm well-read. We should do a show about technology and freight, but really relationships, contacts, because think about it, a rising tide floats all boats. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter if I'm talking to our red truck friends across town or if I'm talking to another brokerage. There is so much interesting stuff going on right now in the industry, as you know, every day, right? The two of you, you know, yeah, get absolutely. to do this. And so um, this just gives the ability for me as the sustainability innovation guy to have some of those conversations at, at once a week. Um, you know, hopefully it can be here in the studio, but, you know, probably more often it's going to be like your last guest. It's going to be remote. Yeah, awesome. So, hey, let's start the let's let's have a friendly conversation right now. VP of st- st- Sustainability, easy for me to say, at uh, at Covenant. What's new at Covenant? This is a new title, right? This is a new uh, new position. It is a new position. So, you know, it would take a little much longer than the twelve minutes that we have left to kind of explain the, yeah, you know, the the origin of it. But but at the end of the day, as the innovation person, one of the things that I would always come up when I was talking to customers, guys, is. They would want to know, what are we doing with fuel efficiency? What do we think about decarbonization of freight? What are we doing with alternative fuels? And really, this whole sustainability message became incredibly consistent. And then RFP started showing up. Like, what are you doing? For, do you have a corporate social responsibility report? What do you think about ESG? Have you invested in electric vehicles? And you know, the next proposal had questions on it, and the next one. And finally, I started getting involved more with sales. And yeah, eventually I was having lunch with our chief operating officer and our president, and I said, guys, you know, we should, we should really sort of pivot my role to involve a, this a little bit more full-time. Some other the carriers are doing it. You know, there's my, my hero over at, uh, over, at, over at Hunt, you know, Craig um, Harper. Craig Harper, you yeah. know, he's their chief sustainability officer. That's a big role. Um, you two have had uh, Rachel um, from C.H. Robinson, uh, sure. VP of ESG. You're starting to see more full-time positions whose job it is every day to get up and to think about this, to think about not just what the industry's doing, but what does our company need to do in response to this, and not to greenwash, not to just check boxes, but to really have thoughtful, in-depth, and, and that's, that, that's more or less what I'm working on every day. No, you guys are uh, when, I, when I'm not in the air. You guys are a dime a dozen now. I mean, I, you kind of cut it out. Well, no, no. Like every company now has one of these. Like in the past year or two, every company has has started to build out a role like the one you've had because it's vitally important. Yeah. The other role I would love to see every company adopt, every shipper, is that CSEO, that Chief Supply Chain Officer. And I think mm. after the hell that this year has been. You might be seeing a lot more of those, Matt. What are your clients seeing over there when trying to just navigate this, this market where we were talking so much about ocean freight reference getting crushed, but also, I mean, you're talking about inland rates where right now in Sonar, our inclusive of fuel drive iron rate is 333. I mean, it's been a brutal perpetual peak season. Well, so first of all, you, uh, Freight Waves has Danny Gomez on staff, right? So that, that, me, that shows you right there that there is something going on yeah. with the decarbonization of freight. Sure. I was on his show. I watch his show almost as well as much as I can. Um, you're right. There are a lot of full-time positions starting up um, at different companies, but there's a lot that aren't. You know, I don't know if the show that I'm going to do tomorrow is actually going to be tomorrow or if it's going to be recorded, but I'm going to have a guy named Daniel Lucas. He works at Trident Logistics, which is or Trident Transport, uh, uh, a very a fantastic brokerage located here in Chattanooga. He is their version of me. He has a long runway to spend time, and, and they're non-asset based, right? So it's not like he's researching trailer skirts and alternative fuels. But what he is doing is talking to carriers about 
And, and, and you know, we'll talk about it more on, on air tomorrow, but he's doing what I'm doing, but with the respect, but, but with, with brokerages. And what sort of carriers and fleets do they need to be partnering with in order to really send a message to their shippers, to their customers? You know, if you're interested in sustainability and you're interested in investing in transportation that has a little bit more thought behind it than, than, than talk to us. And, and, you know, we do that too, you know, at, at Covenant in our, both our asset and our non-asset side. Yeah, excellent stuff. I'm really excited to see it, especially in our industry uh, that I've been involved with for 34 years, but moving forward. But F3 is coming up, and you saw you were so excited about it that you went up and jumped <laughs> off a mountain and risked your life in order to promote this. What's got you so excited and, and tuned up about F3? You know, I, um, I don't – so – if anybody knows me, and Craig will tell you this because we talk about it from time to time, I love Chattanooga. I love where we are. I love how Matt Silver over at Forager and Craig get up on stage at the last Freight Waves event and had the spar back and forth about Chattanooga versus Chicago. Yeah. And while Let's I hope that, that happens up. again. Let's not bring that up. That didn't end well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, but, you know, it's, it's funny because I'd put Chattanooga – this is a great city. You know, there no are so many great things to do here. It's a great place to start a company. It's a great place for Freight Waves to be headquartered. And so I am very excited about the city, but I'm really excited about not having to get a hotel and being able to attend your event and, you and, and not really have far to go. In fact, I've offered my driveway to uh, a guy in a van that's coming. He's going to boondock in the van and sort of take a shower in the house. And, yeah. you know, yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of do the van life thing, too. It's going to be it's yeah. like a Pats game. It's so busy. Like people in Foxborough, they like put like a sign, like parking, yep. like twenty five dollars on their lawn. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> people in Chattanooga, like new income stream well, coming to town. You can put a sign on your on your lawn and people can can park there. So, hey, let's talk room. about Chattanooga. A lot of people are going to be coming here for the first time. You got a place or two to recommend while they're in town? So I highly recommend come a few days early, like I said in the video, stay a few days at the end because if you like to do anything outdoors, whether it's something simple like hiking or you want to see a waterfall or you want to mountain bike or go for a long run on the river walk, there's so much to do. Some of it you can do straight out of your hotel, you know, yeah. when you're here at the event because yeah. I think you guys have downtown booked. You want to go for a run, an herb, the most beautiful urban river run, <laughs> Leave oh, yeah. your hotel, go straight down to the river, turn right or left, and it, it's beautiful. The bridges, restaurants, bars, craft breweries, there's so much to do. Um, a little more adventurous, come talk to me. We'll go, uh, I'll, I'll show you where to tandem hang glide, um, whitewater kayak, you know, the, the aquarium. There's so much going on. Wait, so you say tandem, so they don't let you just, like, first time, you don't just get to jump off the oh, map. No. It's like, <laughs> no, 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 like no, how many no, hang gliding no, no, no. hours do you need before you are allowed to go out solo? Not as many as you would think, okay. but they're not going to let you go off unless they really are convinced you're not going to make them look bad. And also, how do you land? <laughs> like, with your legs bad. being held up, I've always wondered that. Like, what is legit? So you're flying like this, right? Yeah, yeah. You're horizontal, so how do you, like, land? You don't land on your belly, so you, right? So you, um, you can, uh, right when you get sort of in the landing field, you can, you can pivot up and your legs are down at that oh. point, and then you... To stop it, because you only get one chance. You know, if Craig's flying and he's sort of it's like, ah, I, I want to try this again, he yeah. can sort of give it power and circle back around and come do it again. I don't get that chance. i got to get it right the first time. Have you ever had like a wow. – you've said you, you have a okay, lot of It's okay, you can ask it. Have what? I ever had an accident? You have a scary one, yeah. No. No? Not even a non-scary one. I think I twisted an ankle one time. I slipped on some wet grass when I was coming into land. But, yeah, maybe um, it's not so Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's, it's funny. It's – um. You know, it's all about risk mitigation, right? It's about not <laughs> it's about not not flying in conditions that are too strong for your abilities. It's about not flying in um, on, off launches and landing fields that are too short for your ability. So risk mitigation, right? That's the business we're in. Yeah. 
I right? mitigate Dude, my like, risk by not jumping off a mountain. Well, That's, I was going to say, can you and I take the Drew and I tandem, or do we actually have to have someone who knows what they're doing with us? Oh, the two of us together? <laughs> yeah, we carpooled in. Why yeah, we, we carpooled in. We could jump off. Why not? <laughs> hey, 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 Matt, you want to hang out for a second? We're going to look at some action movie stunts before we close out the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, let's, cool. let's go inside the newsletter. We're going to look at Trucking's Greatest Stunts, volume number one right here. You guys can pick your best one, because these are the You've ones I have mail. But I'll give you a little insight. All right, let's throw the first one up here. we got the Dark Knight. Now, this is what's super this cool is about this cool. is throw up that Dark Knight picture. Of the tr- Yeah, there we go. What's super cool about this is you see all the Marvel movies now, right? And it's great what they can do with the camera, with special effects, but this is a practical effect. So Christopher Nolan, in pre-production of The Dark Knight, he challenged his director of photography, Wally Pfister, and he said, I want to take this action sequence to the next level. That's when the Joker uh, steals that truck, right? So what they did is they put a piston underneath that 1986 Peterbilt 358. Uh, They blew it up under the ground. They had the cameras there, the IMAX cameras, and what you're seeing there is actually what happened. And actually, if you look, too, they didn't even CGI out the uh, the blast point. You can see where the piston is located by that cloud right there. You can kind of see the seams, but a beautiful effect so pretty good one that's in the that's in the running i love that one let's go yeah. next one. we got terminator 2 judgment day from 1991 oh it's a classic yeah so this is great too so i don't want to spoil terminator 2 from you but i mean it's been out <laughs> since 1991 but in this movie it's actually the it's the terminator that james cameron always wanted to make in the original terminator the t-1000 was in that script but the cgi wasn't where it needed to be to make the liquid metal character so when they're writing this movie, I was watching the whole behind the scenes. I had like a big Terminator 2 weekend. When they're writing this movie, they really want to establish the threat of um, Robert Patrick as this, this team. So what, what they wanted to do was have this big chase, and they wanted to have him emerge from a fiery truck wreck so it would show those morphing properties of that liquid metal the T-1000 has. So what they did for this is they took a 1984 Freightliner FLA 9664. They drove it. They literally drove it through. They had a ramp. They drove it through a false wall. And it landed just like that. So mostly practical, mostly real. Obviously, cuts and all that kind of stuff, different stunt trucks, but also pretty cool. And just another added aside to this, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Harley Fat Boy, the, the motorcycle he jumps yeah. off the ramp with. They actually, There's a stuntman on it, but they actually used a real Harley um, Fat Boy for that one. And usually in a film, they would use a lighter bike to do yeah. that kind of thing. But James Cameron doesn't care about the safety of his actors, apparently. <laughs> or his stuntmen. <laughs> okay, number three is this one. It's 1995 Heat, right? Michael Mann's epic thriller. Obviously not as big of a scene as the other two, but an iconic scene in movies nonetheless from that 1979 Peterbilt 359 tow truck. Hits the armored car in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. One of the guys in the crew, he shoots the armored car guy. It kicks off this whole big investigation and sets up the wonderful movie that heat is. And again, just practical effect. That's exactly how it looks. The only thing they did in this scene was they speed, they sped up the film of that Raha tow truck going towards the armored truck, but they actually hit, you know, it was gimmicked, it was reinforced, but they hit the armored truck. So those are the three I have up here. Which one do you guys pick? We'll start with you, Matt. Oh, I I like the, I like the first one, the dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Just, there's no but risk mitigation going on in that at all. No, it's very cool. <laughs> Maximum behind the, behind the scenes, uh, if, you, if you look in the link in the newsletter and go to the behind the scenes and watch it, it's very cool watching them do that and practice it over and over again. Yeah, I love the stunt guy, too. So they used a professional wheelman, this stunt driver named Jim Wilkie, hopped in the cab there uh, for that whole flipping over scene. That's just a reinforced cab, too. So the driver's in there. The whole scene is basically one take. I think they only had to do it um, three times. But what you're seeing is one continuous take of that thing with the IMAX cameras. Craig Fuller, he nominated one. He chimed in on Twitter. He liked the truck chase in License to Kill. And in that one, there's two trucks. They ram into each other. One uh, hits on the side of the mountain. Then a guy picks up a rocket launcher, and he shoots 
shoots it through the front of the truck and it yeah. explodes. Explodes it. Pretty solid. A little less realistic. Uh, another guy in line, he was he liked the one for Live Free or Die Hard. It was a truck versus F-35 scene. Also, in my opinion, another CGI heavy, where with this one, I really thought the practical effects for me, I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a renaissance man, Matt. I like the practical effects. You know, I got on a, uh, I was on YouTube the other night, because isn't that what we all do before we go to bed? Yeah, we watch YouTube videos. And I was looking at old BJ and the Bear footage, Ooh, right? Nice. The, the Kenworth uh, K-1000, was that what it was? Oh, could have been. I believe there so. There were no stunts in that. They just trash trucks every time. You know, no CGI, <laughs> like, hey, we got to get this right the first time. Uh, <laughs> we, we have Convoy. Like the there's, there's not a ton of good stunts in Convoy. There's one where the truck flips yeah. over, right? That's... That's all well, right. Well, he drives it off the bridge, right? Doesn't he get shot off yeah. the bridge or whatever at the end? I'll have to double check it for the special effects. We'll do a big special effects feature. You got a nominee? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm gonna, well, I like all three of those, right? And my, I guess my real favorite is the one from, die, uh, from uh, uh, what is it, Live Free or Die Hard. Yeah. Well, I love that one because it's over the top, as you put. But to bring another one up, Drive Angry. Yeah. With Nicolas oh, Cage, yeah. where he's the dead guy, and they blow up the, uh, what is it, uh, nitrogen tank yeah. over top of his car. He just drives right through the ball of flame and everything. Anyways. Well, you guys have your own special effects you want to you wanna nominate to us. Best truck effects. You can reach me, tduner, at FreightWaves.com. Tweet at me, at Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Matt, we got a couple minutes left, so let me ask you, what's a sustainability fellow like yourself do with the, uh, with the rest of his day and the rest of this, uh, this month? So um, I'm talking to a couple of AV companies this afternoon. Um, you know, like a lot of carriers, we're trying to figure out where we fit into all that. So got a couple of conversations scheduled this afternoon. You know what I get to do tonight? I don't want to, like, uh, talking about risk and everything is um, here in Chattanooga. I, so I've been doing this for 20 years. I, I dive in the shark tank down at the aquarium. Oh, nice. Yeah. So at 530, I'm going to get into the shark tank they and haven't arrested you for that clean yet? fish <laughs> fish junk off the bottom of the tank so no, you, yeah you, you go in there and help clean right i help clean yep i've been doing volunteers. that for a long time yeah. doing oh, once really? a month yeah you can do that you can do that how does one do that you can't do that but i can do that oh, i have a membership i got a family membership you can do it once well <laughs> you can do it once and, and all that. <laughs> that'd be cool though if you can let, uh, if, hey if you know anyone there who knows logistics of the aquarium we'd love to do like we'd love to have a guest on too so send them you know because you've got to move you know this we still got a minute left. Um, yeah. When you guys come out here, we Georgia. have two aquariums right there. We have an ocean one and a river one. They're right oh, next man. to each other. I was at excellent. the Georgia Aquarium um, a couple months ago. Yeah, My son and I shark, right? got to dive, yeah, with the giant whale shark the size That's of this cool. room. Yeah. From a logistics perspective, they have a whole thing about how UPS partnered with them to get those sharks from Taiwan to Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, and man. it shows how planes, trains, and automobiles were all used to transport these massive creatures in water all the way across the world to Atlanta, Georgia. It, it's fast. The logistics behind that is yeah. fascinating. Go to the Georgia Aquarium. Do the, do the behind the, the scenes. Take but, the behind the scenes tour is what you're talking about. That's, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Like, that's what do you do with the whale if you get stuck with congestion at port? You just like throw it in the, back in the water on a leash or something? Like, it's like, you remember, you remember the old Star Trek episode where the only way they could save the Earth <laughs> was to go back in time to get a whale, bring it back into the future, and there's some kind of sonar thing that was going to prevent the universe from exploding? Being like a sonar, that. get a sonar demo. Thanks for the segue, Matt. Get a sonar to <laughs> You can subscribe to this show. Look up What the Truck Rare your podcast tv.freightwaves.com to watch it or download the freightways to app that newsletter we talked about freightwaves.com slash wtt comes out 6 p.m tuesday get it tell them how to be today hey peace and love everyone spread it everywhere